Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Office Hours with Dave Moreno, Michael Mola in the mobile office. Uh, and, and Dave Meltzer, hopefully joining us pretty soon, but uh, I'd like to welcome our first guest. His name is Piers Rigiard of uh, CEO of RDX Works. Piers, good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome to Office Hours. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, it looks like Mike's having some technical difficulties. So while, while we wait for Mike to come on, why don't you tell us a little bit about how what RDX Works is and how it works? Sure. So RDX Works um, is the core developer of a public ledger. Like if you think of a decentralized ledger like Ethereum or Solana or Avalanche or something like that. Um, but our public ledger, our public decentralized ledger is focusing specifically on decentralized finance. Um, we see decentralized finance as the thing that is going to eat finance as it is today and bring a 400 trillion dollar global economy onto a public ledger uh, and we basically took the view about eight years ago that if you were going to build a piece of infrastructure the world was going to rely on that the world could trust their financial future to you'd have to build it in a way that was very different from the way that blockchain technologies were currently being built and so radix has taken the radical approach of thinking about the future back like what does that 400 trillion dollar financial system need to look like to be able to uh for us to be able to build something that allows people to actually build that platform in the first place so um we focus on three things the first is incredible infrastructure that scales without friction without causing bottlenecks one of the biggest problems you see in crypto today is basically congestion uh number two incredible user uh, developer experience because actually getting developers into the space is the number one problem that projects have today you just can't hire anyone because it's basically impossible to build safely and securely with the tools and number three is create an incredible user experience because right now crypto is basically impossible to use for the everyday user and this is the three things that radix delivers to make sure that we can actually get to a point where a 400 trillion dollar global financial system can be built on top of a public ledger uh, that's so, so go ahead, Dave. Jump in, Dave. Go ahead. Now, I was going to ask for a quick follow-up because a lot of folks don't understand this, and I know Mike does, but but what does decentralized finance even mean uh, for our sure. listeners? I think it's a, a, a common statement that people use, and a lot of folks don't really know what it means. Great question. Yeah, so, yeah. so decentralized finance, um, there's a lot of different people who have different definitions of it, but I'm going to give it a simple one which is finance that is built on top of a decentralized public ledger, right? And a decentralized public ledger you can think of as is like an internet, but the internet, <clears throat> an internet where money and assets are an intrinsic property of the ledger. So um, on the internet, sending money is actually really difficult. Think about it from the point of view of if I go onto, if I go onto a website, how easy is it the website to send me money? It's basically impossible. Like the best thing that a company can do for you right now, if I recommend someone, right, say I've, I've got this amazing bed and I've decided to recommend someone to this bed store and that person then goes and spends a thousand bucks with the bed store, that word of mouth marketing has been one of the most valuable ways of introducing new business to that bed company. The bed company turns around and gives me a 20% coupon. I've already got a bed. Why do I need another bed? Like, just give me cash. And like the ability to actually spend, like to send money to individuals on the internet basically doesn't exist. The financial system as it exists today, the global financial system is basically a badly connected archipelago of islands. Think of just how difficult it is to send a wire and then times that by how difficult it is for, you know, for example, to swap one share for another on a stock market. So 
decentralized finance is just the act of taking finance as it is today and putting it onto a piece of infrastructure that is designed to make finance truly digital in the same way that the internet was designed to make data and information truly digital. And that's for me what decentralized finance is. It's fantastic, Piers. And with regard to decentralization, if you could help help our audience understand the benefits of censorship resistance, right? We saw so much of this, for example, with the Canadian truckers, whether yeah. you agree or not with what people were doing at one point, if yeah. some, you know, if a person donated $25 because they said, hey, I believe in what this group is doing, they woke up the next day and their banks were, they had turned off their accounts, their credit cards didn't work, they couldn't pay their bills. How does decentralized finance and what you're doing help with censorship censorship resistance yeah it's it's censorship resistance it's a huge part of it now like i can actually go one deeper and and talk about globally important infrastructure right many people don't realize this but the internet the the protocol of the internet tcpip was designed around the concept of nuclear winter it was designed around the concept of what happens if an entire city got blew up would the internet still work? Would you still be able to communicate? And this is this is this is a concept of anti-fragility. It's combined with that sensitive resistance. It's basically going, how can you build a system where no destruction of any given part of it will stop it functioning, but also that you can't take the sovereign right away from an individual to be able to communicate over it? And all of these networks are built with these ideas. So when it comes to money. That's actually even more important, like censorship resistance and anti-fragility when you're talking about the systems that control, you know, our wealth, like our savings, our investments, our ability to be able to send money to our friends and family, our ability to be able to stop autocracy from being able to come in and take away our freedoms via taking away our wealth. That's essentially what decentralized finance systems are all about. It's about creating systems that are very, very difficult to break or destroy because humanity has a great like history of essentially exercising power arbitrarily over things like you know our money and our wealth as well as our ability to communicate and 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 the and the whole cypherpunk movement which is where crypto has come out of has come out of this idea that there are some things that should be supranational there should be there's some things that should be able that everyone should be able to rely on beyond the failure of a company or of a nation state so that you can actually build more anti-fragility into the fabric of humanity in the first place. You know, I, I know you wanted to promote something you got going on. It's, it's not very often on this show that we're able to, to promote one of the party rockers that are in the house tonight. But uh, you've got uh, LMFAL's Red, Red Food partnering with Radix to support coders. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that was really cool. Like, so um, Red Fruit from LMFAO, like multi-platinum award-winning uh, artist. Um, we met him at South by Southwest. And uh, turns out the last like five, six years he's spent has been learning to code. Like he's always been obsessed with this idea of technology being an enabler of like people's potentials. And actually he talks about that a lot in terms of how it created his music, how he relied on technology early to create the music. Um, but he, we, I met him and he, it just turns out that he's, he's spent like the last five years learning to code, 
becoming an app developer for like the Apple for the Apple ecosystem, like learning how to do uh, front end websites, learning how to do things like bots. And he he instantly got the idea of sort of decentralized finance and how powerful that could be, especially when it comes to sort of like the difficulty artists sometimes face in terms of collecting royalties and all this kind of stuff. And so he got really excited about the possibility of a programming language finally that would make it easy for new developers to come in and be able to build in one of the most exciting areas of technology today, which is decentralized finance and, and, and Web3. And so when we showed him Scripto, which we've created over like basically over a three year period and interviewing like a thousand DeFi developers, a programming language that lowers the barrier to entry. So if you think of web, the Web 2, the Web 2 has its own programming languages like JavaScript. We realized that for Web 3 to take off properly, for the metaverse to take off properly, for decentralized finance to take off properly, you had to build a programming language that made it easy for people to get started because right now everything in the market is awful. And so when Fred Fu saw that, he was like, man, I want to learn more. And we were like, OK, well, let's do a hackathon. We went around his house. We did a hackathon in a, in a basically in a three day period. We hacked together this whole decentralized chess game with NFTs that came out of it. It was super cool. And now he's like a full on radvocate for, for, for the Radix uh, for the Radix system and for our programming language as well. Radvocate. I love the craftsmanship on the wording here. <laughs> I know that a lot of our our audience um, has probably heard of coding. Uh, some of them probably took computer science classes, but a lot of them are traditional businessmen and women, but may not actually know what coding is and how it applies to what you're doing. Can you give them an overview so that when they hear this, when they hear their kids talking about it, I want to be a coder, what that actually means? Yeah. So, I mean, like coding is is, is the language of logic, right? So it's, it's it's basically how you convert what you want a computer to do into a set of instructions and um, so everything that you touch, like your user interface on your phone, your computer that you're, you're watching, your TV that you're watching, all of this, and all of that is, is expressed in lines of code that allows a computer to understand what it is that you want, what it want, you want the, create, the, the creators want the computer to be able to do. And um, coding is essentially the way of turning any business idea into a set of logical functions that a computer can follow and can end up creating websites and can end up creating applications, can end up creating basically anything that we run today as software. Uh, and Scripto, our programming language, is a coding language that is specifically designed to allow you to build Web3 and DeFi applications. So if you want to do a borrowing and lending market, if you want to create an NFT, if you want to be able to create a decentralized exchange, if you want to be able to you know, tokenize something to do with your business, all of those things are made radically easier by a programming language that is built for Web3, which is what Scripto is. And when I talk about coding, that's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Just, just one last question here. Um, and it, this is really interesting stuff. You've obviously touched on a number of issues worldwide. And I think you're in, you're in Holland, right? You're in Amsterdam? No, I'm actually, I'm, I'm right now in New York, but I live in Switzerland. Uh, I live in Switzerland, awesome. So obviously we're dealing with the same issues all around the world as it comes to finances and access. In, in your mind, how could decentralized finance help curb things like interest rates or help folks have access to money? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's really it's a really difficult one. Obviously, the world is facing a bit of a crisis uh, in terms of inflation at the moment. Um, and uh, it's really hard, like it's really hard to create 
a, a system when when the global economy is failing or like sputtering um sort of the, the, there is a there is a mass outflow of wealth that occurs and one of the big problems at the moment is that the the place that people are moving their money to like the dollar actually is not a good hedge against is not a good global hedge against inflation um because because it, that's also suffering massive inflation as well so one of the things that the the decentralized finance does is it opens up more opportunities for like holding your wealth in different asset classes. So Americans are, Americans are actually quite lucky in terms of the universe of assets that they have available to them to help hedge against inflation, to be able to help sort of like stave off that effect. Um, but in the, in the rest of the world, like the, there are a lot less choices. Like, um, and with DeFi, what you essentially do is every single product you create is essentially globally first. And so the universe of products that are appearing in, in DeFi, for example, simple saving products where you can get 10 or 11% per annum on dollars, on dollar-backed tokens, um, are, are now appearing on top of these public ledgers, which give people, again, more opportunity to be able to hedge themselves against inflation and more places that they can keep their money safely, in, in, including not in banks, because banks in typically in, in periods of this of, of these times, like banks are also quite shaky as well. When when the economy goes south and if the government doesn't have the ability to print money like it used to to be able to bail them out, or if it does, it can create onwards sort of hyperinflation. The, the government's in a pretty sticky situation. So. Yes, there are like things that are in place to be able to like FD, FDIC insurance and stuff like that. But when you're not sure about an entire economy, being able to have something supranational that you can put your savings and investments into is actually quite reassuring. And it's still in its early days. But I think as the world gets more uncertain, people are going to be looking more and more for these transparent places in which money can be kept and saved and, and, and protected from things like the failure of institutions, the failure of banks, or indeed the failure of currencies. Couldn't awesome. have said it better, Pierce. Yeah. Congrats on that. Can't wait to see more of what you're doing and, and follow you guys. It's uh, really, really exciting. So, would let everyone know where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. So the uh, the protocol is called Radix, uh, and you can find the more information about it on radixdlt.com. That's R-A-D-I-X-D-L-T.com. Um, I also highly recommend checking us out on Twitter. Um, a lot of conversations happens with our community there. Uh, and if you want to dive into programming, you want to go to developers.radixdlt.com and you'll get started with Scripto there. Fantastic. Look forward to it. Thank you so much, Pierce. Thank you, Thanks, guys. Thanks, Pierce. Take care. Thanks, guys. Hello, hello, man. What a great way to kick it off. I know that you've been absorbing this over time, Dave, and you know, just little <laughs> sprinkling it in, crypto, DeFi, everything as we keep moving forward into the world of decentralized finance and alternative investment strategies. Next up, uh, I think we have Rob coming in in just a minute. Uh, here he comes. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. How are you? We are fantastic. Thanks for joining us this morning. Right. Dave may or may not be able to join us, but if not, we're going to get you back on with him sometime in the future. But today, uh, we're here happy to speak to you. We have Rob Andrews. He is the CEO and president of Community Works. Community Works promoting, uh, well, why don't you tell people what you're promoting, what you're doing, Rob, and we'd love to ask you some questions about it. Absolutely. So we uh, we empower folks to go back to work by removing barriers to employment through job preparation, job placement. So 
our target populations are folks that we serve, and those folks are folks that are veterans, uh, folks formerly incarcerated, people on food assistance, on temporary aid to needy families, which is a government program where you get cash assistance and you get um, food stamps, formerly known as our food assistance, formerly known as food stamps, uh, and folks that are 50 plus. So those are our populations, and we, we put them back to work through pre-apprenticeships and registered apprenticeship programs so they have a stability, have some stability and some uh, stable living. Rob, this is obviously great work that you're doing. There's, there's so many issues uh, with every one of those demographics you just named, and obviously I know they have unique and different needs from, from the veterans, obviously, to those formerly incarcerated to, to, to the elderly, right? That, you know, a lot of jobs are, are making their, their roles obsolete and kind of aging them out. Uh, how do you all deal with those nuances and, and, and what are some of the unique issues of each demographic and what's sort of the solution for each? And how can we all help uh, contribute to make this a more inclusive work environment for folks? Well, I'm glad you asked. I mean, I think for the folks we serve, uh, we feel as if lived experience is the best way to um, serve those people. So everybody within the organization, uh, we want them to have some lived experience. So our senior vice president was incarcerated for seven and a half years. Uh, one of our directors is 77 years old. Uh, we, so that's how we serve them and a veteran. You know, so we serve them in those ways um, to make sure uh, we're doing that. We also take a very different approach to our marketing and our development. Uh, our marketer, our marketing and development person has a lot of EI experience, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion experience. Not a lot of marketing experience, but diversity, equity, inclusion to make sure that we can uh, work with those folks through um, uh, uh, make it feel inclusive for the environment. We have a very robust uh, policy when it comes to employees, flexible work schedules, uh, remote work schedules. Um, so all those things play into how we're going to serve people. Uh, and that kind of trickles down from top down to the people we serve. Um, if we're talking about unique this experience. Is, go ahead, oh, oh, unique experience for everyone. No, no, go know. ahead. I thought you were. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. It, you know, the lowest hanging fruit is to come in and say, oh, veterans have PTSD. Like that's low hanging fruit. Oh, okay. Well, of course. Uh, they, they've been in the war. They've been traumatized. We try to get as deep as we possibly can into everyone's life to try to determine how we can help them. So uh, if you're formally incarcerated, what are what are the real issues? What are the character things that, that, that were the reason why you were formally incarcerated? We want to help so you don't go back and recidivate or have recidivism. Uh, recidivism is the rate at which you return back to prison from coming out. Um, so it's those kind of nuances that we kind of research and explore uh, to make sure we can fix the problem throughout uh, society. That's absolutely incredible, Robbie. Thank you. Say here, I'm looking at some of the notes, but thirty over thirty one thousand job seekers that have been served, yep. which is inc incredible. And congratulations. So, if we know people, uh, there are people in our networks or individuals who we've come across who could benefit from these services. What would they do? If I'm thinking of it, if I because I know people who who have been. I, I'm an attorney. Dave's an attorney. We know people who have gone to prison. We know people who have family members or friends who have gone to prison. And then they do come out. And unfortunately, they're often less qualified. And now they have, have the stigma, although they, quote, paid their debt to society. Very difficult to get a job. Um, so what can people do mechanically? How can we go through the motions of letting people know how you can help them? Well, we're, we're, we're located in Colorado. So if you know folks in Colorado, that'd be great. Um, just you go to our website, go to the chat box, and then somebody will respond to you within 10 minutes and let you know how to get involved in what we're doing. Uh, for folks that don't live in Colorado, I think the best 
thing to do is be involved with a pre-apprenticeship or a registered apprenticeship program to get yourself back into um, the middle class within a period of time. Now, for a very long time, uh, that middle class uh, or that pre-apprenticeship or registered apprenticeship um, has excluded folks. So what we've been able to do is make sure that the folks that we serve are not excluded. Our pre-apprenticeship course lasts for four to five days. Then we can get you into a registered apprenticeship, get you into four or five consecutive days uh, and get you get you back to work. And let me just follow up on a quick question. And, and Rob, what are you teaching people in the pre-apprenticeship and apprenticeship? What are these critical life skills that, that men and women need to reintegrate? Well, a lot of it's not critical life skills. A lot of them have that. And we kind of do that on the back end. So um, what we're doing is we teach uh, really some, some pretty tough stuff. So warehouse construction, um, a traditional pre-apprenticeship program lasts for 24 hours, but it's spread out over eight weeks. Got it. So it excludes some folks that are coming out of prison. They got to be back at a halfway house at a period of time. Our, our, our grandma has to go watch her kid, her, her granddaughter. Um, and these pre-apprenticeship are usually in the evenings. So what we've been able to do is put them consecutively all the daytime for folks that are unemployed so they can get back to work. Rob Lee, this, this is great stuff you're doing. And it seems like you've, you've lived several lifetimes and have worn several different hats or helmets, uh, so to speak. And, just want to tap into some of your previous experience as both a collegiate quarterback and ultimately yeah. as a professional quarterback in the CFL. And, you know, that being the bug light and, and platform that gave you an opportunity to be the first year family to go to college. Um, what about that experience? Because I think so many, so many statistics, uh, particularly when it comes to female executives that have been collegiate athletes, what was it about that experience that you feel like has helped you uh, in your professional life? Um, and what lessons did you learn or why should um, young folks, you know, get involved in sports uh, at an early age? You know, I, I didn't play quarterback in the CFL. And, here, and that's important. Here's why. Um, my roommate was Brandon Browner. Mm-hmm. In the CFL. If you're familiar with him, 6'4", yeah. 20, played for the Seahawks, was the person that helped break up the pass when the Seahawks threw the pass to, when he played for the Patriots, played for the Saints. Uh, he's incarcerated, I believe, right now. Um, but he taught me something very valuable while I was there. He was willing to live and die on every play. I was not willing to do that. I was willing I to live and die for my community. So that's what I have thought about and I came back to do was live and die for my community. He's a great football player. Um, taught me a lot of things about life in a short period of time. And and that's the experience that I took away from from that is whatever you're doing, you're going to have to be able to live, want to live and die for it every day. And that's what he did. That's incredible, man. That's powerful, Rob. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm speaking next week at an event in Florida um, to a group of founders. And uh, my presentation is on vision, vision quest and and how to um, build out an effective roadmap for founders so that you can achieve ultimately the goals of your business. So when we look at what you're doing, it's, I mean, what you're doing is so robust in so many ways you're tapping into humanity. What's the vision ultimately of what you're doing? Well, in a word, I mean, in a phrase, you know, we want to make sure that folks that have been historically excluded are included in the economy to have a, and they want to have a regular job. You know, folks, folks just want to some people don't want to be entrepreneurs. Some folks just want a regular job. And right. folks that come from my background or from my neighborhood have been historically excluded from that. 
So I want to make sure that everybody in the, in everybody around the world is able to have that that vision of being in the middle class and buying a home and putting Thanksgiving food on the table. That's that's my that's my go to. That's my thinking mm-hmm. because growing up as a kid that was poor, there were some Thanksgivings we didn't have food on the table. And I know how that affected my father and my mother. I want to make sure that everybody has has the ability to have food on their table for their kids on, on Thanksgiving. I love that. Rob Lee, is, is community works in other cities outside of uh, Colorado? Uh, are you no. guys only based in Colorado? We're based in Colorado, but we love to be everywhere. So we have the resources. Um, it's harder to break into markets. I'm not sure why it's so hard to break in these markets. We've been, we've, we've, talk to over 10 cities and it's just very hard to get into the market that they're doing. I also know where we created the iPhoto programs. So it's very difficult and people are skeptical about how we do what we do. Um, so <laughs> once we get a shot, we'll, we'll be off and running. Who, who would be some of the, the good strategic partners to help you uh, immerse yourselves into other communities, other cities and states? You know, it would be, it, it would be the is it government that. agencies. Is it investors? Is it other community groups? Really investors. We're really investors. If we had the ability to go into a community, we're willing to bet on ourselves. Um, when I first took this job, I took a $30,000 pay cut and a bet on myself. And we've made that back tenfold. Um, I, we're willing to go into a community and bet on ourselves. We need somebody that helps support us and, and give us a few resources. It only takes $300,000 to have one of our shops in. We have seven in in Colorado. It only takes $300,000 a year. And we can make sure that we can get that back within two to three years. That's tremendous. Have you been seeing uh, any particular industries where there's more success or consistency uh, amongst uh, job placement for some of the people in the program? Construction's huge. Warehouse is huge. IT is the biggest. And we think we can do that. We can tackle that problem. Everybody from from the way things are getting automated and and becoming quicker, folks think that um, it takes eight weeks to be in an all day uh, IT the folks aren't going to remember all that stuff anyway. So um, we think we can go in and disrupt that market. Which uh, I, I think you can too. There's somebody that uh, I'd like to introduce you to who was running, created a boot camp for coding for uh, IT to get uh, former NFL players back into society. They said, I wanted to create some programs. So I think he'd be very interested in what you're doing. What's the, <clears throat> because this is what you're doing. You talked about taking this job and taking a pay cut. A lot of people wouldn't be willing to do that, whether it's because they're not willing to bet on themselves like you were or they just um, they just didn't have the courage to do it. What's the reward? What's the satisfaction? Because you're tapping into the most critical thing about doing what you do in life, and that's doing what you love. Yep. Right. What's that reward that you get when you at the end of the day, you know, put your head on the pillow after all of the strife that you've been through in a given day yep. and know that you've helped another person reintegrate in society? Tell us what that reward is like. Uh, that's a tough question. That's a, it's a great question, but it makes me emotional. Uh, my brother passed away last year in end of July. He, he's one of my, um, he was always a supporter of mine and one of my strongest supporters. And my mother, my father passed away when I was younger. And those are, those are the three things that I'm, if I can make them proud, um, that, that that's what I'm doing it for. Incredible, man. It's a great story, Rob. Uh, Thank you for all that you do, and and thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, If you don't mind, just telling folks where they can find out more about Community Works and how they can get involved. Uh, Absolutely. Love love to have you back. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
I, I also want to connect with you. One of my better friends is Benny Fowler. He got Peyton Manning's last touchdown. He's a, he was a former professional football player. Uh, he's now retired. Um, but I think that boot camp thing, he, he would really be interested in. His mission is to really help people, especially coming from um, the NFL, be successful after life, after after life, life after football. So let's do that. Uh, www.commwrks.org. Um, www.commwrks.org. Um, that's where we are. And hit the chat box and, and we'll be able to help and do what we can for you. Thank you, Rob. Keep, Thank you. Keep doing the great work, man. Thank you. We'll do. Thank you. That's, that's great. That gives stuff, me the chills. God. That gives <laughs> me the chills, right? You and I know a lot of people that make a lot of money. But when I hear about people like this that are literally doing God's work, whatever you believe God to be, like this kind of work taking pay cuts, going into the community and giving themselves to others. That just literally gives me the chills, man. You know, it's just, it's so important to help those that, you know, just need a hand and, and those communities he works with. Uh, we know firsthand how tough it is to, to, to help folks not recidivize, recidivate, yeah. whatever the <laughs> proper way to say that is. But yeah. um, we have another guest waiting, Adam Lippin, uh, the founder and CEO of the Hear Me app. Adam, good morning. Good morning. It's nice to meet both of you. Good morning. Great meeting you. Happy Friday. Um, we'd love to hear more about, about Hear Me, but uh, obviously uh, it leans into uh, some of the emotional well-being of folks uh, that are dealing with loneliness and, and different things. If you can tell us a little bit about Hear Me, and, uh, we'd love to ask you some questions about it. Great. So at its core, Hear Me is designed to connect anyone in real time with someone who can be there, see them, hear them, validate them. And uh, most of the people that they'll be connected with have, have a shared lived, lived experience. So to Rob's point from Community Works, I love that conversation. I'm going to reach out to him, right? We can connect people who have been in the prison system with people who have been out of the prison system but have lived where they've lived. So we'll understand them. They will feel safe with them and they can share what they're going through. So essentially, we connect people uh, to get whatever they need off their chest um, in real time. Adam, that is absolutely amazing. And that's why this show, we love it so much. So for you to speak to Rob and, and we just keep growing, right? And uh, Dave's vision of making over a billion people happy, this just continues. So good morning. And I, I really uh, I really am a fan of Hear Me. And I'll tell you what struck me most when I was learning about it is I sit on the board of a uh, an organization called AIR, which stands for Attitudes in Reverse. It's a teenage suicide and adolescent mental health foundation. And uh, we have our event coming up soon. I would absolutely like to introduce you to them because that's such a big part of this. I, um, I, I spoke at the event a couple of years ago. And in one part of my speech, I said, we're supposed to be more connected than ever because of these. But the, the studies all show exactly what you're saying. People feel lonelier than ever. They really do. And so to have the ability to have someone who's kind of walked in your shoes to tell you it's okay almost like a, a sponsor with an addict right like a drug addict meets a sponsor can say hey i've been there i, I got you we connect i hear you uh is just sometimes all that you need so what is is this something where someone can if they have hear me they can in the middle of the night hey adam i, I or, or how does it work exactly because it's yeah. so profound so to your point, I have 24 years of sobriety and I have a history of loneliness and disconnection. And that whole notion of one person being there for another person, they're not clinicians, they're, you know, they're not 
quote unquote experts, but they've been where you've been and they're going to just listen to you and tell you what, what worked for them. Um, so yes. So it's designed 24 hours, seven days a week. It's an app. Just go to hearme.app on the app stores. Uh, it's $7 and 99 cents. And, uh, you can have as many conversations, all text-based, as long as you want, 24-7. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's designed to help you get things off your chest. And and I wanted to share a little bit about, so what, to Rob's point, what's so interesting. So we have a, an enterprise site as well where we connect, we work for companies. Um, so we connect for a large nurse staffing agency. We train and hire retired nurses to support existing nurses in the field. So who else, you know, who knows what it's like to be in the NIC unit at three in the morning other than someone that's been there. And we can do it in a culturally uh, positive way. So for example, we're in one hospital system in New York City, 60% of the, of the nurses that work there are from Caribbean descent. So we can hire and train up nurses that match that demographic so they feel safe and comfortable with it. So would, like this thing with Rob, we can, hire and train to his point, right? He wants to get people working. To be peer support specialists, pay them to support people in their own community. That's incredible. You know, Adam, I, I was smiling when you said that uh, about the nurses in New York City, because uh, my grandma was one of those Caribbean nurses in New York City. And in fact, um, she was the first uh, woman of African-American descent. She's, she's from Carousel, uh, island in the Caribbean to be the head nurse in the hospital in any in, in the major city in New York City. Uh, she was the head nurse at, at Harlem Hospital. And I remember she would have all these uh, these gatherings of all of these different generations of younger uh, Caribbean nurses kind of at the house. And she was kind of like the Pied Piper. And, uh, and, and it was really important, you know, connecting them all. So uh, it's great that you guys have identified those niche demographics and have realized the strength and power of, of community uh, within the, the fields. Um, and, and obviously, you know, going through this pandemic and, and having a lot of friends and family in the medical field, uh, amongst other fields, I know, it's, you know, the pandemic has really hit that field tough, particularly the folks in the ICU. And, and I've had conversations with some friends of mine that are doctors that, you know, are, are depressed uh, because they have never, especially in New York, we talked about Elmhurst and some of those hospitals, um, seeing things that they've never seen at rates that they've never seen. Um, have you, do you agree or how has the pandemic uh, really sort of heightened uh, the feeling of loneliness and um, is, is it part of the nexus for Hear Me or is there anything unique that the, the pandemic has caused in terms of offerings for Hear Me, even outside of the medical field? Yeah, so the pandemic has accelerated the problem, but it's also illustrated the problem. So for example, the current Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, when he was a Surgeon General for Obama, stated that loneliness is worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day and worse than obesity. It's one of the major indicators, one of the major social determinants of health, your social network, and it leads to all sorts of negative outcomes, physical, spiritual, uh, and, you know, and psychological. So if we can address that core issue. So COVID has done two things. One sort of positive thing is that it's made all of us a lot more aware of the fragility and sort of we all have been dealing with things that we haven't been dealing with. Um, and secondly, it sort of allowed people that would not have sort of thought of this. Um, for example, you know, human resource officers and people that run hospital systems to realize they need to address the emotional wellness of their 
people because, you know, healthcare workers have been traumatized like no one else. And they're also the types of people that don't reach out for help. They're so empathetic. There's nurses in particular, they want to help other people, but they don't want, they're, they're not going to help themselves. They're not the first people to reach out and try to find a therapist. So we try to create as frictionless of an opportunity in a non-therapeutic manner to connect them, to vent, get something off their chest, whatever. So, Adam, who are the ideal customers or the, the individuals or organizations that should be using this? Is it everyone from, you know, the small mom and pop shop to the, the person who's sitting somewhere alone or, or the big Fortune 500 companies and everybody in between? What, who does Hear Me um, provide the, the services yeah. for the most or the most effectively? So we have three verticals, if you will. One is our give back program, which is what I want to talk to Rob about. We offer for every enterprise or individual that pays for our Hear Me App subscription, we donate one to an organization for their community. So that's a major part of what we do. The second is a just a straight direct consumer where anyone can download the app for seven ninety nine. Um, and our primary market right now, we're we're doing a lot of work with different universities and students. We know the pain that they're all in and, you know, the, the lack of resources that universities have for their students. And the third, right now, we're particularly focused on healthcare workers um, and, and enterprise clients in general. But basically, there's such a they can't hire and staff and keep healthcare workers. And a lot of it has to do with stress, burnout, fatigue and, and helping these organizations find ways to support, emotionally support uh, the well-being of their members. We find it really important right now. And, and, and Adam, like 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 Rob, you, you guys have lived several lives, and uh, you've really gone from uh, the big business for profit sector and, and leaned into you know giving back. And you know you were the CEO and founder of Atomic Wings, which I probably have eaten too much of, and those waffle fries uh, at lunchtime, uh, a affordable and good. Uh, when I was a DA, so it's a shameless plug to 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 Atomic Wings, but. Um, Tell us about your journey. What was the nexus of, of you leaving uh, Atomic Wings and then leaning into, you know, Hear Me and Cudlist and, and things that are so far uh, to the left uh, relative to like companies like Atomic Wings? Um, so, I mean, the origin story of Cudlist and Atomic Wings is growing up, I knew I was gay and I knew there was nothing inherently wrong with me. And I knew that if I had something that I could connect with and share with, I would just feel better. But at that time I didn't have that person. And what that did for me is it made me really closed off. It made me afraid of other people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I always knew that was like a core issue. And I also knew that I'm not alone, right? Like I think Gandhi, Muhammad, some people have had original thoughts, right? The rest of us. Um, so I, I went to college. I started Atomic Wings because I love chicken wings. And I, you know, I was a crazy <laughs> fan. You couldn't get them in New York City. And I was determined to bring authentic buffalo wings to New York City. And I did that for 25 years. And we scaled and I franchised them at a wholesale business. It was about 50 when I sold that company. And I really decided it was time to, you know, do something to address my core issue, which was loneliness and the sense of disconnection. And I wanted to, you know, I, I had some money and I'm, you know, that whole Maslow's hierarchy of need, like that self-actualization top part of the pyramid. So I wanted to, I love business. I love start. I love solving problems. And I wanted to do this in a way that could be, uh, you know, help so like a private sector solution to a public health crisis. 
that is, I mean, to do be able to do that, you, that's just absolutely amazing. So has, has it been, where are we with Hear Me Now in terms of how have you scaled it? How many people are using it? What's the growth rate? What's the, what are we looking at in the future? Because technology, I can imagine now, has provided so many opportunities for what you'd like to do, that this is the perfect time for, for everything that Hear Me wants to be. Yeah, so we're now a venture-backed business, which is great. Uh, we've had over about 550,000 people use our app. They and, and of those 550,000 people, they use it about 4.1 times. The average conversation is about 27 minutes. And so we have a lot of usage. And that's not included in what we call dedicated chats, which are ongoing conversations, which can last for a very long time. Um, so that's sort of what we've done. And with that, we've done some we've did, we just finished a study with Stanford, Penn and Northwell Hospital Systems showing amazing efficacy. It's fantastic. We're getting that published now. Um, so our roadmap, our pathway is to is to just keep scaling, basically, and have this available to as many people as possible in the three ways that I mentioned earlier. What, where are you based out of? Uh, we're a virtual team. I'm between New York and, and uh, Louisiana, and we have people all over. But I spend most of my time, my working time in New York. Got it. Fantastic. And just just one quick question in regards to the uh, the folks that the employees of Hear Me, um, if folks are interested like on both sides, right, to, to, to subscribe to the app or if they feel they've got a particular skill set and would like to contribute via employment, right, uh, to, to, to yeah. the, you know sort of concept of today. Um, what sort of people are you looking for, and, and how can they how can they find you guys? Uh, hearme.app. We have, just go to our website, hearme.app. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, and you can reach me, Adam, at hearme.app, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, but essentially, we're looking for people. So we have a peer support training academy. So we take people with the desire to be there for someone. Uh, and if there's a particular client that we're looking to match with, that particular, or, you know, that like for example, nurses, et cetera, and uh, and just reach out. We're we're looking for people all the time, and um, yeah, we're pretty easy to find. Hear me. Dot app. This is it's this is absolutely fantastic, Adam. We're going to reach out more. Thank you for coming on. We want to have you uh, back on when when Dave is here, and uh, again, look forward to making some introductions to the people that we're affiliated with who we think could really benefit from. Hear me. Sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Bye-bye. Wow. Gotta love the people that are working on things that are bigger than themselves. That's for sure. Both <laughs> it's, these guys have made me feel like I'm not doing enough today. <laughs> that's the truth, man. It is like you climb that ladder and then you, you hand it back down so the next person can climb up, right? And, and they're doing it. It's it, That's absolutely incredible. Wow. You're right, man. It makes you feel like, and that's the purpose here, right? That's, you meet people like this and they make you better because you want to go out there and you want to do more. You're you're doing some pretty amazing things, by the way, my friend. Uh, You as well. I think we've got Noah. We do. Yes. Hello, Noah. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Good good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you may be. (laughs) Uh, We have Noah St. John, uh, owner of Success Clinic, and I am very curious to learn about affirmations as opposed to affirmations. I'm uh, working with someone right now on a project called the Science of Miracles. And last night we were going through it and he was explaining the difference between, you know, transformation and different things. And so to hear affirmation, 
I think a lot of our audience has been doing things and uh, meditation and mindfulness and affirmations. We hear it and see it all over social media now. So what is what are affirmations and how are we using them to improve lives? Well, as you just stated, everybody who's ever read a self-help book knows what an affirmation is. You know, as uh, I'm an executive coach, I'm a keynote speaker. I get to speak all over the world to, you know, small private conferences, all the way up to global multinational events. And one of the things I like to do is I like to have my audiences stand up and say, okay, all right, now we're going to do an affirmation just like the gurus taught us. Everybody say, I am rich. And everybody goes, I am rich. You know what happens next? Everybody starts laughing. And I go, what are you laughing at? And they go, well, I'm not rich. And I say, you just said you were. And they go, yeah, but I don't believe it. See, now, isn't that funny? That's the problem with that old method, right? The old way that the gurus have been teaching for decades, the affirmations method, which we've been taught. In fact, interestingly, a study was done recently that showed that 75% of people who use the old affirmation method actually end up more frustrated than before. So imagine if you had a smartphone that only worked 25% of the time and 75% of the time it didn't work, what would you do? You'd probably get a new phone, right? (laughs) So I invented a new phone and it's called the affirmations method. So an affirmation is a statement of something you want to be true, like I am rich. And then your brain goes, yeah, right. Right now, what I discovered 25 years ago, in fact, in my books and my courses and in my coaching, I call it the shower that changed everything. I was in the shower, right? We all have those aha moments in the shower, don't we? Right. And I was thinking about this very thing. And I said, why are we going around making statements we don't believe when the human mind responds to something much more powerful and much more simple? And that is the power of questions. And so the point is that an affirmation is a statement of something you want to be true that 75% of people don't even believe. So what an affirmation is, what I invented, is the process of using the embedded presupposition factor of the brain, which is just a fancy way of saying when you ask a question, your brain searches for the answer. In fact, I can prove it to you right now. It's Why like, is the sky blue? Why is the sky blue? Water and a reflection. Right. I don't know. I, exactly. I don't know yeah. Do you know what just happened in your brains, both of you and everybody watching this program? We you know went just to our uh, brain Rolodex of facts yeah. and information. You got <laughs> it. Right. So the brain is automatically searching for answers to questions. When I ask a question or when anybody, when you ask yourself a question in your brain, you automatically search for the answer. It's like doing a Google search or computer search, you know, computer search uh, mm-hmm. uh, for your file, a file search on your computer. Well, your brain's like a computer. It's like Google. So it's like an infinite search engine. And so the point is, an affirmation is an empowering question that assumes that what you want is already true. So instead of saying something like, I am rich, my affirmations method, uh, that, like I said, I invented 25 years ago in the shower, <laughs> was it would be something like, why am I so rich? Why am I so happy? Why am I always in the right place at the right time? Now, using the embedded presupposition factor of your brain, your brain has to search for the answer. And so that is, in a nutshell, my affirmations method. And by the way, the word affirmation that we're all used to comes from the Latin word firmare, which means to make firm. The word affirmations that I invented, and by the way, it's perfectly legitimate to invent a new word when you have a new technology or a new way of looking at the universe, right? Isn't it true you need a new word, right? Google, Facebook, YouTube, uh, computer, software. These are all new words in terms of human history. But now, of course, we use them every day. It's a new technology. We need a new word. Well, what I'm teaching with my books and my courses and my coaching is a new technology of the mind, 
right? So affirmations comes from the Latin word formare, which means to form or give shape to. So what I often ask my audience members or my coaching clients is, what if you're making something firm, but it's in the wrong form? That means you formed a life you didn't even want. And so anyway, that is, uh, and by the way, there's a typo there. It's Noah St. John. There's not an extra dot in there. Thank you, Blaine. Uh, Noah St. John with no dot there. Thank you for putting that up. Uh, but so the point is we need to form empowering questions using my affirmations method. And uh, it can, well, we've helped people, you know, double, triple their income, add six, seven, eight figures to their business, but also lose weight, find love, save marriages. Kids love affirmations. They get better grades, sell, improve their self-esteem. So like you were just talking about earlier, you know, my mission is to raise the consciousness of humanity one question at a time. So that's what we've been doing for the last 25 years now. No, uh, great, great stuff. It's, great. It's, it's completely mind blowing, frankly. Uh, but the thing that I'm most interested in is that I've got five minutes to spare, I think, every single day. <laughs> right. And uh, one of the things that you guys talk about uh, at Success Clinic is, is being able to change someone's financial life in less than five minutes a day. Can it really be that simple? And I'm not trying to tell you to give the sauce out for free, but but what sort of small changes can we make to improve our financial life? Uh, and then how do you work with folks uh, in such a short period of time to to make massive improvements in that, that area? Yeah, absolutely. And, and yes, I can change someone's financial life in just five minutes a day. So literally, you can change your financial future while you're making your morning coffee. Now, the there uh, this is called my core four formula. Okay, now we humans have developed four modes or methods of communication. I call them the four modes of human communication, right? And they are reading, writing, speaking, and listening. All right. So what you want to do is you want to, for example, when you go to our website, go to noahstjohn.com or afformations.com and you can, you know, get one of my books. I mean, you see all these books that I published. I published 17 books now and 18th is coming out next year. Uh, we're in 18 languages around the world. So you can get my book of affirmations, which is right here, or the millionaire affirmations. Anyway, I like pointing to all my books. Anyway, uh, so, so you want to read. So you take one minute and you read. So you read one of my books on affirmations or on Amazon. You can get them anywhere, right? So you read for one minute. Then writing. Then you have, like we have an affirmations journal. You can get the companion journal and just write for one minute your new affirmations. Then speaking. You want to say it out loud. Right. Why am I so happy? Why am I so healthy? Why am I so rich? Right. And your, your brain, as you're speaking, it's rewiring your brain you're using neuroplasticity. And then the fourth minute. There you go. You got it, baby. Thank you. Uh, and then the fourth minute is listening. Right. So listening. In fact, I invented something called I Aform Audios. I-A-F-F-O-R-M. I Aform, just like iTunes. Right. I Aform. And you can actually listen to these uh, 101 of my favorite affirmations set to inspiring music. And you can literally change your subconscious thought patterns while you're not even paying attention. You can literally do it while you're exercising, while you're, you know, doing doing the laundry, whatever you want to do, or even while you're sleeping. And so we have ultimate wealth, ultimate health, ultimate love, relationships, sleeping better. Anyway, it's just so powerful when you do my core four, reading, writing, speaking, listening, and that's how you can change your financial life in less than five minutes a day. Fantastic. Is there a hierarchical approach to this? I think everybody, when they say, okay, wait, I can become a millionaire and learn this, you know, while I'm making my coffee. Everybody goes for that shiny object. But if you're not healthy, what good is it? You're going to spend all the money on medical bills, right? Uh, if, so everybody chases the wealth, but maybe not the health. Is there a way that we should approach these things so that they make the most sense to say, why am I so healthy? Why is my cardio better now at 50 than it was at 40? Why? And then start building on the wealth. What's the best approach overall? 
Well, you bring up a great point. And there's there's an old quote that says, uh, to the person who has their health, they have many problems. But the person who doesn't have their health has only one problem. And that's a good point. And so the point is, what we teach is what I call my freedom lifestyle formula. And freedom lifestyle, as you said, you know, most people, I mean, 83% of people hire me as a coach or come to my seminars because of money problems, right? That's 83% money worries, money issues, et cetera. However, um, that's not all there is. And so the point is the Freedom Lifestyle Formula also has four elements to it, and that is time, energy, relationships, and money. Now, when you have an abundance of time, energy, relationships, and money, you have what I call a freedom lifestyle or dream lifestyle or happiness, abundance, whatever you want to call it. But it's basically making sure that you have a balance in all these different areas, right? And I, and I help people with different tests and assessments when they come, you know, when they go to the website, you can see these different tests and, and programs that we have. But the point is that think about if you have a million dollars in the bank and you don't have any time to enjoy it, that doesn't sound like a great deal, really, right? Imagine you have a million dollars. Uh, or, you know, I give you a million dollars and I say, well, you got to be miserable all the time. Uh, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> right. And I say, I'll give you a million dollars and you have to be alone all the time and you don't have anybody to enjoy it with. Uh, that doesn't sound very good. Right. So, you know, when you th when you think of it like that and you think about time, energy, relationships and money, that really creates a holistic life. So that's what we focus on, uh, you know, at, at Success Clinic and our in our coaching and our, in our uh, virtual events and so forth. And so that's you know, and people ironically go, I never thought of it that way, you know, because as you said, you know, we're chasing the money and so forth. And I understand that. I mean, I grew up poor in a rich neighborhood, so I know what it's like to chase money, <laughs> but it's, it's very, uh, it can be very empty if you don't have the whole totality of that freedom lifestyle formula. Yeah. yeah I love it. And it's, it's clear, uh, Dr. Noah, that you're, you're zagging when people are zigging. And one of the things that uh, I, I read is, is that you believe willpower is the worst way to change a habit. And you've got a bunch of uh, super intense and productive folks online and other coaches that are saying it's your mindset. You know, if you've got the will to achieve it, you can. Why do you feel that's one of the worst uh, ways to change a habit? And, and on the flip side, what do you think the best way to change a habit is or to establish a habit? Whatever change you got to establish them. Right. Absolutely. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And yes, I do believe that willpower is one of the worst ways to change in any habit. I'm not saying it can't work or doesn't work. I'm just saying willpower is a very limited resource. Let me give you an example. So imagine if you're in your kitchen right now, right? And you're just standing in your kitchen. Somebody walks into your kitchen with a plate of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, right? And you can see the cookies. You can smell them, right? They just came out of the oven. Your mouth starts to water, right? You're like, oh man, that looks really good. And then the person says to you, all right, now, I'm going to leave this room and do not eat a chocolate chip cookie. Whatever you do, don't eat one of these cookies. All right. Now I'm leaving. Now don't eat a cookie. Right. And they leave. What are you going to do? You're going to, you know, right. You're going to go crazy. Right. So that's what willpower is like. Willpower is basically like saying, don't do that thing that you want to do. Right. So we humans don't like to deprive ourselves of anything, do we? Right. And so again, I'm not saying willpower doesn't work or it's bad or wrong. I'm just saying it's very weak. It's a weak muscle. So what I teach is what I call my power habit system, which is one of these books back here. Anyway. Yeah. That one. That one. It's hard to point backwards. Anyway, that one. Power habits. Uh, anyway, so uh, you can learn about that again on our website. But anyway, so power habits is about what a habit actually is. And a habit actually is five distinct elements. The trigger, the cue, routine, reward, craving, and belief. Now, we don't have time to get into the whole thing. But basically, it's, you know, the cue, which is what happens in your life. The, the routine is what you do. Then you have the reward, which happens in your brain. And then you have a craving, meaning, you know, a craving for actually keeping doing that thing. And then you develop a belief. And for most people, like, for example, uh, the biggest habit that people come to me with 
uh, that they want to change is procrastination, right? Hey, you know, you know I'm, I'm procrastinating and I'm not getting the things done that I know I should be doing. And I keep trying and I'm trying to use willpower. It's just not working. And so what I show them is, all right, what actually triggers that habit? And then we change the routine and we change the belief using my affirmations method and see that's how people can. And well, that's one of the reasons we've helped people make so much money. I mean, over $2 billion over the last 20 plus years, uh, you know, adding six, seven and eight figures just literally by getting them to 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 move that habit. And what's funny, and I just want to say this very quickly, is that you actually can't stop doing a habit. You have to replace a habit. You can't. If I were to say to you, OK, stop procrastinating. Uh, you go, OK, well, what do you want me to do? You know, that's what the brain says. It's like, don't do that. OK, well, what do you want me to do? Right. And so you actually have to replace. So what I've been teaching for 20 plus years is that every success story is really a replacement story. So that's what we help people with. Thank you so much, Dr. Noah. Uh, we, people can find you at affirmations.com. Look forward to speaking to you again, getting back on and learning more about how you're doing such incredible work. My pleasure. And just real quick, you've got noahstjohn.com and sevenfiguremindintensive.com. That's our free virtual event coming up. We'd love to see you all there, sevenfiguremindintensive.com, and uh, we'll take great care of you. I appreciate it. Thank I love you. the energy. Thanks all right, thanks. Are. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Mike, that was a, a fun show. We obviously missed uh, Dave, and, and I hope everything is well with him. We can't wait to see him next week. Yeah. Uh, but we had some great guests, and it's just a, really a product of, of what Dave has built in terms of just bringing incredible people that can not only connect with everybody watching, but potentially connect with each other to continue to further what they've got going on. It's tremendous to watch the network grow. Yeah, absolutely is. And uh, such, I mean, I, you know, some of these shows, you, you have those takeaways where you walk walk through the day thinking about each one of the guests and, you know, thinking about the things they said. And this is one of those days. So I, I can't wait to go through and, you know, think about some of the things that they talked about. For I have a, a, a bit of a takeaway. You know, the one thing that resonated with me with each of the guests is they're doing something that's really natural to themselves right? To give back in whatever way that it is, it's something that's harmonious with who they really are. So, you know, looking at, you know, just going back into a community and doing something, it's not about the money kind of thing. You know, money's important, but it's not about the money. And so he's doing it that way. And hear me, what Adam's doing, I mean, it's just so profound. And when you start to do those things, those ultimately become the things that are worth the most money because they're natural to you. They're, they're the things that are, you know, it plays into the algorithm of the universe. You're giving without an expectation of return. And so it creates that abundance for yourself. Yeah, I love that. Uh, my takeaway is super simple today. It's so obvious, uh, given all the guests, thank you all to the guests that, 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 that popped on. It's just invest in the things that fulfill you. I mean, every yeah. last one of the folks that we had from peers to, to Adam, to Rob, to, to Dr. Noah just now, um, they're, they're clearly invested in things that they're passionate about. And, you know, with Rob and, and Adam specifically, they both were in, in completely different fields and different spaces, and they, they shifted. They made a quantum shift into something that they were really passionate about and made it their life. Absolutely. Appreciate you, brother. Hello to Dave if he's here watching. Look forward to seeing him next week, and we'll see you all soon. Yeah, just a quick reminder, everybody. Uh, Dave has a free training at, at 10 o'clock. Yes. Uh, Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, Pacific time. Please join Dave on all of his platforms where you guys normally tune in. Instagram, Clubhouse, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Dave, uh, or email him at david at dmeltzer.com. Thank you all. Uh, talk to you all soon. Take care.